Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to the Niner Sports Talk. My name is Bryson Foster. I'm the sports editor at the Niner Times, and I'm joined by one of our writing standouts, Josiah House. Josiah, thanks for coming on, man. I know that uh, you are quite the expert on all things NFL free agency, and we'll get into that today. On the national stage, it has been a great week with March Madness and NFL free agency. And in the world of Charlotte Athletics, man, it has been a great week. We're going to get into all of it today, but before we start, uh, we want to remember the legacy of Del F. Halton. Um, Del Halton is the namesake of Halton Arena here at Charlotte. She passed away last night, the former CEO of Pepsi Bottling Company. She served UNC Charlotte in many direct and subtle ways, and her relationship with the university began in the 80s, and a lot of our uh, facilities here on campus have her fingerprints all on it. So we just want to send our condolences to the family and remember uh, her legacy and everything that we do. And all the athletic programs that we talk about have been touched by her. Well, let's get into the athletics for Charlotte this week. Let's talk about the men's basketball team. Last Wednesday, we talked about how they had accepted an invite to the College Basketball Invitational in Daytona Beach, Florida. And we didn't really know how the team was going to do there, but Josiah, they have showed up and showed out in a big way since last Saturday. For sure. After beating uh, Western Carolina at the start of last Saturday, it's just been uh, a rolling ball, like a snowball effect, just win after win. And they're in position to make quite the win here coming up pretty soon with a possible chance at the final. Yeah, and and definitely, like you said, you know, in the first round they played Western Carolina on Saturday, 65-56 win. Bryce Williams, we're going to talk about him a lot today, and that name has really been impactful through all the matchups. He led scoring in that game. Charlotte continued to struggle with rebounding against Western, but in the quarters, even though they were out-rebounded, they had a lot of offensive boards, and defensively, they were all over the place, and they defeated Milwaukee 76-65. to uh, And Bryce Williams scored 25 in that game, and Jackson Threadgill really showed up with 17 points. Um, and, you know, Charlotte shot 40% from the three, which if you're going to shoot 40% from three, you're most likely going to win those games, wouldn't you say? Oh, yeah, for sure. They were excellent from the three against uh, Milwaukee. Last night in the semifinal, Charlotte defeated number 10 seed Radford University, the Highlanders, 63-56. to And, man, what a game it was. Bryce Williams again had 14 points and 11 rebounds, a double-double, which really helped this team. Isaiah Folks had 11. Isaiah Folks has been all over the place defensively. He has been a menace to teams that they have faced. Lukai Patterson had 13. Josiah, what are your biggest takeaways from last night's result? And, man, the 49ers are one win away from the CBI Invitational Championship. It's, it's huge for this program. Uh, I think against uh, Radford, the, the biggest takeaway for me was uh, they passed the ball around a lot. They were looking for those open shots. It wasn't that they didn't have to ride on the back of Bryce Williams like they had to do possibly against Milwaukee. They were going, finding the open shots, and taking them, taking advantage of what Radford was giving them, and then having an incredible defensive performance on top of that. Just a really solid game. And with this win against Radford, that's 21 wins for Charlotte this year, 
That's the most since the 2012-2013 season. Yeah, which is which is really big. You know, I feel like this season has been really good for the 49ers. They've grown in a lot of places. Players are hitting their stride. And, and sadly, didn't get the result they wanted in the Conference USA tournament. But, you know, they mentioned this last night, and it's, it's really a, a good thing to think about. When you play in the CBI or the NIT, it really helps when you go far for the team to have that experience. Hey, we've been here. We've done this. We know what's required of us. And a lot of teams that have gone far in the CBI come back the next year and make a run at March Madness. Um, and so we'll definitely see. Let's preview this finals matchup. Charlotte, Eastern Kentucky. Eastern Kentucky, the eight seed, coming off a win over Southern Utah, which, man, that was a good game. Double overtime. Over 100 points for both teams. Uh, and if you watched that last night, it was insane. And uh, honestly, that game delayed Charlotte's start time because they just couldn't decide who was going to win. But Eastern Kentucky, really good team. They can score really well. They shoot the three. And they were down by 10 late in the second half um, last night against Southern Utah and found a way to come back. And the big reason for their comeback is Devontae Blanton. And, man, he was just a really good player for them. He's really athletic. And, man, he can really stroke the ball from beyond the arc. Oh, for sure. And I think when you look at how well Eastern Kentucky can play on offense, you've got to find a way to either keep up or shut them down defensively because we cannot go toe-to-toe with the offense we currently have. We have seen in a double OT game against UAB, we did put up about 91 points. That was a good showing. But we can't rely on that to be – the common situation here for Charlotte. So I think it's very important that we get in a huge defensive game coming in, and we have to get some boards here. Have to get some boards. You know, I was just going to say that, and I think this is going to be a really interesting matchup because you got Isaiah Kozar and David Ananima, who really played well last night, and Ali Khalifa and Isaiah Kozart. That's going to be a fun matchup to watch. But it's really who is going to have that advantage in the paint. I mean, we talked about it. You can't play well if you don't rebound the ball. Well, you're not going to get the results you want. Charlotte has struggled with this. Uh, Coming into the CBI, they were 350 out of 352 teams in the nation for total rebounds in a game. You can't win games like that. And I know that a lot of the big men like Khalifa and Igor Milicic really do a good job of staying out on the perimeter and getting those shots. And then today's game, you have to uh, shoot the ball well if you're a four or five. You just have to. That The game's changing. But rebounding is so key. And another little tidbit that I think people need to watch tonight is Cooper Robb, the guard for Eastern Kentucky, has some ties with the old green and white. Cooper Robb used to play for UNC Charlotte a couple years ago. And, man, he has really progressed into a really good guard uh, for the uh, Eastern Kentucky team here. And honestly, it'll be really cool to see Cooper Robb, a former Charlotte boy, get to play against the team that gave him his start. So definitely keep an eye out for Cooper Robb. It's definitely a storyline to watch going into the final. And just some other things. Uh, Montre Gibson last night against Radford scored his 1,000th career point. So big congratulations to Montre Gibson. Well-deserved. You know he's played a lot of games over his college career. Um, Josiah, just give us a little tidbit on what Montre has meant to this program this season. Yeah, I think Montre has played so well this season. He's brought a lot of leadership to this team this year. And uh, coming in, I believe he's a senior this year. Um, You know, with this last 
uh, performance for him. You know, this is this is it. This is the 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 final hurrah here, the CBI tournament. And uh, I think that going into this tournament, he's played so well, and go in in the tournament now, he's played phenomenal as well. Um, he's been a great player for Charlotte now for a while, and I'm so happy to see him kind of play and had a chance to win a tournament in his last couple games. I definitely agree with you. You know, I talked to Montre earlier in the season, and, man, just to see the heart this guy has. You can tell he wants it. You can tell he just loves the game, man. He's a baller. Uh, he's been around. He knows what's asked of him as a veteran. Um, and, you know, he had success at Tarleton State, you know, last year, and he's been around. But, man, it would be really cool to see. And this is what we're going to leave you with. The 49ers looking for their first tournament trophy since 2013 and that was not a postseason tournament that was a preseason tournament that they won in Puerto Rico but Charlotte could really rewrite history tonight and I think Ron Sanchez has these guys playing the best that they've played all season long uh Josiah what's your score prediction for tonight Eastern Kentucky Charlotte for the CBI title I think if Charlotte can go out there play their game correctly uh win on defense I'm looking at probably uh 72 to 65, Charlotte. I think that's a fair score. I'm going to say 69-67, Charlotte wins it. I think it'll come down to the wire, but I think the 49ers will just have enough there at the end. Uh, So from basketball to college baseball, let's talk about these Charlotte 49ers who are coming off a huge, I mean absolutely huge program-defining win last night against number four, South Carolina. Team improves to 9-11. They're 2-1 in the CUSA. And they defeated the Gamecocks last night in Truist Field, one of those MILB ballpark games, which is always so cool to see, getting these college players the opportunity to play at minor league ballparks, which they have a good shot of playing in their professional career as they work their way up through the show. Uh, big win last night over South Carolina, 6-2. to two. This was not a back-and-forth affair. Charlotte got out to a 6-0 lead. Gamecocks fight back, but it would not be enough. Let's let's just look at it. Blake Jackson started things with a single, which brought in a run, and that third was huge for the 49ers as they scored five runs. Jack Dragum singled, and then Cam Fisher, every time he steps up, he seems to go yard, made it 5-0, and then Spencer Nolan singled. It was 6-0 in the fourth, and South Carolina in the sixth got on the board. Made it 6-1, to one, and then in the, the ninth, uh, South Carolina tried all that they could, but it wouldn't be enough. 6-2, to two, uh, the final result there. Uh, man, really good win for this team. A team that has been trying to find their footing of late. But just like last season, team kind of struggled at the start, but then found their way and played really well. Uh, Josiah, what does this win do for the confidence of this young Charlotte team that's really trying to find their way? Oh, I mean, come on. It's huge. It's huge. I mean, beating a massive SEC opponent like this, going in there, doing your job, getting out with a win on a big stage, you know, going into an MILB stadium and just dominating, that's massive. I mean, you got to feel like you're on top of the world going into the next couple games. I definitely agree with you, and this win comes on the heels of Charlotte's first CUSA series victory over Louisiana Tech. You know, we talked about it last week with Sam when he was here. Um, man, it just seemed that their pitching wasn't complimenting their hitting well, and they've really turned the corner there. 
and they need it because they've got Dallas Baptist this weekend. But, man, Charlotte's confidence is through the roof. The momentum is on their side. Dallas Baptist is a team that has made the NCAA tournament many times, has gone to the College World Series, and Dallas Baptist has moved over to this USA. So this has a little bit of bragging um, rights on the line and also for conference standing that will be big come conference tournament time. Um, but let's talk about that pitching a little bit. Cameron Hansen uh, won CUSA Pitcher of the Week for his performance against La Tech where he went seven and two-third innings, giving up only three hits and no runs in that 9-0 win on Sunday, which was big, really the turning point. Cameron Hansen has been a good part of the staff and really showing that, that he belongs with the big guys. And Cameron Fisher hit his 11th home run last night. Uh, which coming into the game was number eight in the nation. I don't know if that increased, um, but man, Cam Fisher's really rose to the occasion every time he's been up to the plate. And I think going into this weekend, I think it's going to be a really good series against Houston Baptist. And I think the 49ers have a good shot to win that series. You know, this 49ers team is one they like to grind it out. Uh, they get in these defensive games, but they always seem to find a way. Josiah, what are your thoughts on this Houston Baptist series? Uh, I'm excited to see what, uh, you know, I'm excited to see what Charlotte can bring, um, especially coming off of such an excellent win. And then also, as you were saying, the L.A. Tech win last week, you know. Uh, I'm excited to see, especially, I mean, how can you not get excited about Cam Fisher? The guy's electric. I mean, he's so much fun to watch. But uh, I think we have a solid shot to really, you know, put a hurting on Dallas Baptist here. I'm excited. I definitely agree with you. I think the Charlotte team has this hitter's row that is really good. And when they're going, man, it's hard to beat them. I think they're a dangerous team to look out for. They want to get South Carolina is just huge, like we talked about. Uh, but, again, from one side of the street at Robert and Marion Hay Stadium to Sue M. Dottridge Stadium, the home of the Charlotte softball team, Charlotte softball has really turned a corner of late. They're 15-12, and 4-2 in this USA with two series wins, one over FIU, one over FAU. Something about those Florida teams, uh, it seems there. But um, let's let's talk about last week. Last week we talked about their game against number four Clemson. The 49ers kept it close until the fifth inning uh, against Clemson, and then the Tigers just opened it up. They won nine to one. But still, being able to compete against Clemson for as long as they did shows this program's got what it takes to go far. And then against FAU, they won the first game eight to two. Lost the second four to zero, and then won three to two, bounce back to take that thing. So again, they're playing really well. They got another big matchup today against number eleven Virginia Tech in Blacksburg, Virginia. But let's flash back to last season, why don't we? Last year, Charlotte welcomed the same Virginia Tech Hokies into Sue M. Dotridge Stadium. Virginia Tech number six in the nation. It was going to take a lot for Charlotte to win, and Charlotte. Pulled it out. What a what a win that was. The biggest in the program to date. Um, it was just a lot of fun to see. And that really was a spark for the team um, going into the rest of the season. That win came on March 2nd uh, at Sue M. Dodgers. 5-2 defeat of number 6 Virginia Tech. And here we are again, one year later, with these two Goliaths in softball getting ready to fight it out and battle uh, to the end. Josiah, what are your expectations for this game against Virginia Tech? And you know the Hokies have a bad taste in their mouth 
from Charlotte beating them a year ago. Oh, for sure. Uh, you know, Virginia Tech has to go into this game proving that that was a mistake, that that won't happen again. And Charlotte's going to have to go into this game proving that that was not a mistake and that they deserve to be where they are. They deserve to be the people known for beating Virginia Tech. Not once, but twice. And I think it's possible. Uh, it's going to be hard. It's not going to be easy. But nothing good in life ever comes easy, right? You know, I think it really comes down to we need a killer performance at the mound. We desperately need that. I think that we've had Bailey Vinoy, Ashley Washington. I mean, just killer at the plate. They've been playing great. But we need the mound to just get a defensive performance, especially with Virginia Tech that's had 57 home runs this year. They've been incredible. So we just really need to have a solid performance by Sam Grest. Yeah, and, and Sam, too, talking about her 9-4 with a 2.16 ERA, which is very solid. Um, you know, and you talked about it, 57 home runs for the Hokies. In, in baseball, softball, whatever sport it is, you got to keep the ball inside the park. And if we're going to do that, you're setting yourself up for success. Um, you know, I, I mentioned this last week. It really feels like Charlotte is an honorary ACC member. They've played Clemson. They've got a game against North Carolina and Virginia Tech. But when you play these tough opponents, it really helps that confidence and goes, hey, we've been here. Like, we know what is required of us in these games. But you talked about it. Bailey Vinoy is the new CUSA home run leader with 62 over her career, which is just whopping, a whopping number. They're going to need her to step up big tonight. Same thing with Cassidy Cruppet, who bats 398, 35 hits, 24 ribbies. Uh, and then Madeline Wright has been put in some uh, pressure cooker situations, and every time she's been called upon, she's risen to the occasion batting 467. Madeline Wright is also a pitcher for this team, so she does it all. And against Clemson in a – Tough situation for the 49ers to run. Madeline Wright was called upon. Really shows the trust that Coach Ashley Chastain has in her. And uh, this VT game is going to be a lot of fun. And, man, it's it's maybe this is a new rivalry. If Charlotte continues uh, to win, you know, Virginia Tech's going to want to get them every year until until they can beat them, sort of say. Uh, Josiah, give me your prediction. What's the final score of tonight's game? I think uh, if everything goes right, if everything goes right, uh, my my very positive prediction is I'm going to go 6-5 uh, Charlotte. I think that's fair. I agree with you. It's going to be a close, tight-knit game. I'm going to go 2-1, to one, actually. I, I think it's going to be really, you know, going to be a defensive battle. I think Sam Gress is going to be ready to rock and roll uh, for sure. But going to be a fun matchup no matter what, I think, um, as well. Well, Let's get into some national sports, why don't we? Let's look at the March Madness bracket. Man, what a crazy weekend it was in the first weekend, the first and second round, round of 64, round of 32. And, man, it just was all over the place. Upsets galore, um, really, in this tournament. But let's get into it. In the South bracket, we talked about how Alabama is the one seed last week. Well, the Crimson Tide have run through their opponents, Texas A&M, Corpus Christi, and Maryland. And they are in the Sweet 16 against the five seed, San Diego State, the Aztecs, who defeated College and Charleston and Furman to get to this point. Then you have, on the bottom side of that, number six, Creighton, and number 15, Princeton. Yes, 
That's right. Princeton is in the Sweet 16. Let's talk about how Creighton got here before we jump into Princeton. Creighton beat NC State and then beat Baylor, which they just dominated that game against the Bears. And now they're going to have a matchup with Princeton. Princeton beat the number two Arizona and number seven Missouri to get to where they are in the bracket. Let's talk about some upsets, though, because there was quite a bit in this region. Furman beat Virginia uh, with a huge three at the end. Um, The Paladins beat the Cavaliers, and something about Virginia really struggling in these matchups against double-digit seeds. Um, You know, they they suffered a loss to UNBC, which was infamous. Uh, When they lost to Furman, that was five years to the day, actually, when they had lost to UNBC. Then they lost to Ohio, and then they lost to Furman. But after that loss to UNBC, they ended up winning the national title, which for another team we'll talk later about might be a little silver lining. Um, So Furman defeats Virginia with a monster three near the end, uh, 68-67. Virginia really couldn't do anything after that. And then Princeton, like we talked about with those two upsets against those higher seeds. Uh, So, Josiah, let's talk about some of our predictions because whoever wins the Sweet 16 will play in the Elite Eight uh, on Saturday because these games um, are Saturday or Sunday. Um, I I really think that this bracket is very interesting. It's wide open with three – uh, seeds that are kind of lower than what we would assume for some at this stage. And then Alabama, who is the one, one of the only ones left in the tournament. Josiah, here are my predictions, and I'll let you have the floor for this one. I think Alabama's going to beat San Diego State. The Tide look really, really good. And they look like they're going to run through whoever's in their way. And then Creighton and Princeton. I'm going to pick uh, Princeton over Creighton. I think that uh, that Princeton just is on that roll, and there's magic around them, you know, with the upset. Something about New Jersey teams, the last three teams that were 15 seeds, um, or last two seeds that were 15 seeds that made it were from New Jersey, and then Fairleigh Dickinson beat Purdue, which we'll talk about more. And then I think in the Elite Eight, I think Alabama will get to the Final Four if they get Princeton. Josiah, who do you got? Uh, I also got Bama over San Diego State. San Diego State has looked incredible, and – I think it's a testament to Bama that I don't even see the rolling tide like flinching against San Diego State. They look incredible on offense. And uh, I got—I actually agree with you. I got Princeton over Creighton. Uh, Creighton's a very good team, but Princeton has already killed two very good teams. They are so, so disciplined. So, so disciplined. Uh, I could— I could see them doing it again pretty easy. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you, and I think it's going to be fun. I love March Madness time, but I do think Alabama uh, is just going to be too much for Princeton. I think they'll have a good run, but we'll see uh, who it goes to, but I think the Crimson Tide are the ones uh, to really keep an eye on. Let's go down to the East bracket. Sweet 16 matchups, number four, Tennessee, and number nine, Florida Atlantic University. Let's talk about how they got here. Tennessee with a win over Louisiana. Then they handled Duke pretty well, and FAU beat um, Memphis, which was at the Horn, really close game, and then they beat FDU, which was a good game as well. FAU-Tennessee, that's one of the matchups. Then number three, Kansas State, number seven, Michigan State. Kansas State beat Montana State, then they beat Kentucky and Greensboro, and Michigan State beat USC pretty handily, and then took care of Marquette, the number two seed. 
Um, and honestly, a takeaway here for a lot of people is to know that March should be renamed to Izzo. The month of March should be renamed to Izzo because every time Tom Izzo is at the helm during March Madness, the Michigan State Spartans always seem to turn it up and were really able to go far and win these games. Uh, and, and they got a tough one against Kansas State coming up. Let's talk about some upsets in this bracket. One that was huge. Fairleigh Dickinson, the number 16 seed, only the second 16 seed to be the number one. They defeated number one Purdue. That was just a great game to watch and, and really cool to see how FDU took care of Zach Eady. This was a huge win. And FDU's coach Tobin Anderson caught the eye of Iona, and he's been named the new head coach of the Iona Gales. Uh, and honestly, even though FAU beat them, it was back and forth, and they really had to earn that went over FDU. So just really cool to see. That's why March is such a great time of year. Let's look at what to expect the rest of the way. Um, I think that Tennessee is going to beat FAU. I think they're going to handle them. And then I think Michigan State is going to get by Kansas State, and we're going to have a Tennessee Volunteers-Michigan State battle in the Elite Eight. And then I think the Vols finally get through and they get to the Final Four. Um, Josiah, you got the floor. Who you got? I got Tennessee winning here. Um, Tennessee looks like the favorite to win the whole bracket, in my opinion. They are so, so good. A lot of returning veterans on this team, a stifling defense, and they are overpowering in the paint. If I had to pick somebody right now to write in and say, this is who I got, it's got to be the Vols. They look incredible. And then uh, for the Kansas State-Michigan State game, um, I like Michigan State, especially that win over Marquette. Very impressive I just think Kansas State's the better team. When it comes down to the brass tacks, I think when push comes to shove, Kansas State's going to come out with the win. And that matchup seems really up in the air, too, wouldn't you say? Like, we don't know who's going to win, which Michigan State team's going to show up, because even though Michigan State has played good, there have been times during the season where they've struggled to shoot the ball. And Kansas State, really, uh, with their first year, Coach Tang has been amazing. They've really turned that corner. But we'll see. I mean, to go this far in the tournament is already impressive. But I do think the Vols might be the favorite to win it. I'd love to see an old showdown between the Vols and the Alabama Crimson Tide um, as well. Let's get into the West bracket here. Sweet 16 matchups. You've got the number four seed, the Yukon Huskies, and the number eight seed, Arkansas Razorbacks. How do these two teams get here? Well, Yukon took care of Iona, Rick Patino's squad. And then they handled St. Mary's pretty well to get to the Sweet 16. And Arkansas beat Illinois. And then beat the number one seed, the Kansas Jayhawks, who I had as my favorite to win. I had them in my bracket. Arkansas ruined that as well. But they're moving on. And then in the bottom half of this bracket, it's really, really interesting. Number two, UCLA, who defeated UNC Asheville and Northwestern. And Gonzaga, who beat Grand Canyon and TCU. Played two teams that their primary color is purple. I don't know. What that says, but anyways. Uh, and then they're going to play UCLA in the Sweet 16. This is a rematch of the Final Four from years ago where Gonzaga hit a half-court shot to win it. You know the Bruins have been thinking about that. They've been want, We want the opportunity to play the Zags, and they're going to get it. Uh, going to be a really interesting. I think this bracket is wide open. Any of these four teams can get to the Final Four, especially Arkansas, I think, is in that too because they've got the momentum. Um but my big thing for Gonzaga in this UCLA matchup, the Zags have to get off to a faster start. Against Grand Canyon and TCU, they were trailing for most of the first half. 
and had to fight their way back. Against this UCLA squad, they can't afford for that to happen. The Bruins are fast, they're physical, and they want to play this game. I know that they do. Um, so really, it's just going to be interesting. Gonzaga's going to have to get off to a quicker stop, uh, start. Arkansas really outlasts their opponents. And so that's something to watch in that UConn game. Let's look at what to expect the rest of the way. I'm going to pick the Bruins over the Zags. I think this was a different UCLA team. I said that last week. I think the Bruins are going to defeat Gonzaga. and They're moving to the Elite Eight. And I'm going to pick UConn over Arkansas. As much as I would love to see Arkansas to go far, I just think the Huskies uh, will have a little bit too much. And then out of that, UConn and UCLA, I think UCLA gets to the Final Four. Josiah, what are your thoughts? I got Gonzaga over UCLA, personally. Uh, you know, Zaga's a good team. They are this year. Uh, and when you look at, uh, I mean, TCU was not a pushover. That was a pretty good team that they had to beat there. Um, UCLA is physical. You're very, you're, you're right there. I, I have Gonzaga. I think they can bring that, that heat. They've been here before. They can do it again. I think they've got that physicality inside of them. I think they can win this game. And then uh, UConn over Arkansas. I like what you said about the momentum. I think Arkansas, especially coming off that win over number one seeded Kansas, I think they've got a lot of fight in them. Um, but again, similar to the Kansas State uh, game, I just think UConn's the better team. I hate to see a Cinderella story die out, but UConn is a solid program there. I definitely agree. It's getting two. Sometimes teams struggle to bounce back after such a big win. Like, you've already been to the highest of highs. How do you recapture that in your next game? But we'll definitely see. I think both teams have a good shot. In the Midwest bracket, our final bracket here, you've got the number one seed, Houston and Cougars, one of the only two one seeds left. First time since 2018, only two one seeds have made the Sweet 16. They're going to face the five seed, the Miami Hurricanes, the only team from the ACC left. And then number two, Texas, and number three, Xavier in the bottom half. How did Houston get here? Well, Houston uh, took care of business against Northern Kentucky, then beat Auburn and Miami, beat Drake and Indiana, and then Xavier beat Kennesaw State. They had to come from behind to do that, and then they took care of Pitt, controlled that whole game. Texas, on the other hand, outlasted Colgate and Penn State to get here again. This is another one wide open. I don't really know who's going to win this one. I can see all four teams going. Um, but Xavier really has shown another Big East team the Big East is is here to play. And I really believe in this Big East supremacy as well. And then the other question you got to ask yourself, will Houston have enough for the Hurricanes? Hurricanes uh, went back and forth with Drake, had to win it in the final two minutes, but Indiana, they controlled the whole way. And I think this is going to be a really fun matchup to see. Uh, what to expect the rest of the way in this one? I think you're going to have the Hurricanes beating the Houston Cougars. They're going to get to the Elite Eight. And then I think Texas is going to win. And then out of that, I'm picking the Miami Hurricanes to get to the Final Four, baby. What do you got, Josiah? Oh, okay. Uh, that was a great speech for Miami. Houston's going to win. Uh, their offense is great. I mean, it's amazing. And I, I just do not trust an ACC team right now, to be honest. I really don't. Um, and then I got uh, Texas over Xavier. Uh Xavier had a, a great showing to have. Um, the coming from behind against Kennesaw State has me a little worried. Mm -hmm. But, um, I mean, hook them horns, baby. Come on. Texas all the way. 
they they've had a fantastic year this year especially Penn State was a very good team with a lot of momentum coming into this bracket and uh, I feel like they handled them pretty pretty easily and I think it's going to be a similar story against Xavier I think you're right there uh, I think it's going to be really fun to watch the rest of the way let's look at some trends some major takeaways I have from this first weekend parity in the sport is prevalent the lower conferences are finally just as good as the top conferences, I feel. And this is shown in FAU, Fairleigh Dickinson, Princeton, San Diego State. These teams are going farther in the tournament, and there's a reason why. Um, Big East, the Big East has been really good. They're a tough conference. They've got three teams left. And in my opinion, they have one of the best chances to win it all because they've got the three teams. Mathematically, they do, but I think the three that are left are some of the best that they have to offer. And the Big 12 has come around, but in my opinion, they're a tad unproven. Only two teams in the Sweet 16. But that's more than the ACC can say. And I think the ACC has shown that they're the worst Power 5 conference this year. It's been a down year for Miami, the only team in the Sweet 16. North Carolina didn't even make the tournament. They've been a staple. Duke, who I had going far in my bracket, laid an egg against Tennessee. Did not look good. They've been disappointments. Gonzaga and UCLA, I think, is going to be a great rematch. Uh, and this time, it's to see who can get to the Final Four. I think the winner of that game might go all the way. And then only two one-seeds in the Sweet 16, first time since 2018, which goes back to show parity is alive and well. Uh, we're going to go in here with a brief little thing about NFL free agency. Josiah, just give us a couple free agents that you think are would be good fits for certain teams. Which ones are left, and who do you think is going to lock them up? Uh, I think there's some pretty good names out here. Yannick Ngakwe. Uh, he played for the Colts last year, I believe. He's been around uh, Raiders, Jaguars, Ravens. He's usually somebody you bring in just for a year. He's kind of a uh, rent-a-player kind of a guy. But he is a great pass rusher for a team that desperately needs pressure, especially uh, possibly like a title contender. He could be a great signing. Honestly, if the Chiefs decided to bring him in to replace Frank Clark, I think that would be huge for them. Um, DJ Shark. Uh, he played well for the Lions last year, and he had a breakout campaign with the Jaguars a few years back. Um, he's had some mutual interest with Carolina, which, as a big Panthers fan, I'm very excited about. But uh, the Broncos, Colts, and Cowboys have all been active in the free agent market. With Brandon Cooks now going to the Cowboys, I doubt they'll make another signing. But I wouldn't be surprised if you see the Broncos try to snatch up somebody like DJ Shark here. Um, and then you've got a couple uh, veterans here that could definitely add, um, especially at the edge with people like Leonard Floyd and Andrew Van Ginkle. I think these players that are quality players, we're going to have to wait and see where they go because this is such a deep class or draft class at the edge position. Um, these are going to be guys that are going to get added later when people don't get who they want. You know, For somebody who misses out on somebody like um, Will McDonald or B.J. Ojolari coming at the top of the second round, bottom of the first, when they don't hit on those players, um, you're going to see somebody take up somebody like uh, Leonard Floyd or Andrew Van Ginkle to try to like solidify that position. Yeah, I definitely think uh, you're right there. You're spot on. And some big you know, transactions that happen, Orlando Brown to the Bengals, Brandon Cooks has been traded to the Cowboys, Ezekiel Elliott got released. It's just been all over the place. And I think you're right. Some of these guys will be able to be plug-and-play pieces as well. Well, you've got five teams down here that you've given grades to. Um, let's talk about your boys, the Carolina Panthers. What grade have you given them for their offseason? It's been eventful. 
And they've had some really good signings. Where do you place them on the grade scale? The Carolina Panthers, I think, get an A minus on the grade scale. On the grade scale, uh, it's almost a solid A, but got a couple got a couple questions with them. Um, and the reason I think they get such a high grade has a lot to do with trading up for the number one pick, pulling the trigger, not waiting and sitting in limbo that we've been sitting in for so long. And also what they've been able to do with the reconstructions. They reconstructed Xavier Woods. They reconstructed uh, Shaq Thompson's contract, which was a huge contract. Uh, they found a way to create a culture where these guys want to play for Carolina. And then they're willing to give up some money so that we can go out and get more players. And I think that's huge. That's I mean, shout out to Scott Fitterer, who's done a great job, the GM of the Carolina Panthers. Um, he's filled some great holes on defense. The Von Bell signing has been one of my favorites this year. Um, <laughs> and I think Adam Thielen, uh, that's a very solid pickup. He brings leadership to that offense, which before Adam Thielen, the most tenured player on our offense and our uh, current offensive starting lineup was Taylor Moten, our offensive tackle, who has been hit or miss over the couple, past couple of years. We needed a leader. I think Adam Thielen plays that role perfectly. Um, very, very, very solid to great offseason. It just came at the cost of DJ Moore and, uh, honestly, Christian McCaffrey. Yeah, you know, too, I think with the Panthers, my biggest worry for them is the offensive line. But I think, man, when you get those weapons around, you're going to get linemen that go, hey, I want to play with them. And then it's really exciting with C.J. Stroud. I don't think the Panthers are going to be amazing this year because I think, you know, C.J. Stroud's got – but, man, they are going in the right direction, which is good to see. Well, and also I would add uh, – the Panthers have had a pretty underrated offensive line. Uh, Ike McQuanu played really well last year. Brady Christensen played well. Bradley Bozeman was one of the highest-graded centers last year by PFF. And and they brought him back, too, which is huge. Yeah, that was huge. one of the biggest signings as well, yeah. keeping him in the building. Um, losing uh, Dante Foreman at running back kind of hurt. Um, but we've, we've kept a very solid core at the O-line. But, you know, you lost Donta Foreman, but you got Miles Sanders. So I think that's an upgrade almost. Even though Donta Foreman's a good player, I think with Chicago, he's really going to – I think he's going to be the piece that they need there, uh, especially with the loss of David Montgomery um, as well. The Bengals, uh, you know, I would give them a B-. And I think that, you know, there's new blood on the offensive line, Orlando Brown, which is a huge signing. The Bengals needed that. Um and, uh, you know, then, too, they re-signed Jermaine Pratt. They got Nick Scott from the Rams. And uh, the secondary has been an issue. Uh, the loss of Jesse Bates and Von Bell are huge. But at the same flip of the coin, the Bengals got Cam Taylor-Britt and Dax Hill, who both showed good signs. Mike Hilton is still on the team. Uh, Chiyote Bayouzier is going to come back. So I think they'll get it together in that secondary but the loss of Samaj P. Ryan hurts. It stings a little bit for me because I love my boy Samaj P. Ryan, and he has been a really good uh, receiving running back. He's a good catching back out of the backfield. He's a better blocker than Joe Mixon, who we don't even know if Mixon will be back. But I do think that a running back is one of the easier positions to fill. It's one of the easier positions to replace. Look at Kenneth Walker, third-round pick, really came in and made an instant impact. Josiah, you got a little bit of a worry with Orlando Brown. Break it down to us. What's sticking out? Orlando Brown is a great run blocker. He does not have the required speed to go out and get these speedy pass rushers that you need. I mean, a lot of these guys coming out of the draft in these past couple years, these guys have been athletic freaks. We just watched Nolan Smith, an edge out of Georgia, run a 4.38 
at 240 pounds. People were not supposed to do this. This is These are freaks of nature. We're not supposed to be this good. Um, and so when you've got someone like Orlando Brown, I mean, he's massive. He's strong. He's physical. But he doesn't have the burst to get up off that line that you really need in the modern day. And that showed with the Chiefs a couple, a couple times last year. Um, the Chiefs are a very good team. And Jarek McKinnon is arguably one of the best pass-blocking running backs in the NFL. So, you know, they had some leeway there. But uh, I wouldn't be so sure that Orlando Brown secures Joe Burrow in the pocket. I would more look at what he's going to do in the run game. I definitely agree with you, and I think that's the big thing because, you know, you always hear the run opens up the pass. Well, that's that's just the darn truth there. The Detroit Lions gave A-plus grade. I don't know if I agree with that. The loss of Jamal Williams, in my mind, weighs heavily. Even though they got David Montgomery, in my opinion, they definitely went down uh, in the quality of their running back. But, man, just, just give us a brief overview of kind of what they got. C.J. Gardner-Johnson is huge. For that Lions secondary. Oh, for sure. I mean, when you look at the Lions, they had a very uh, surprising to some people offense last year. A lot of like hodgepodge names thrown together. DJ Shark, uh, Jamal Williams, these guys that were free agents that have been around for a couple years that no one really thought about as being impact players going out and playing their hearts out for Dan Campbell last year. But that defense was terrible. I mean, absolutely awful. So to go in and immediately get Cameron Sutton, the best cornerback in Pittsburgh last year. Emmanuel Mosley, an extremely fast, solid cornerback from San Francisco. And then C.J. Gardner-Johnson, a huge part of why that Eagles secondary was as good as it was last year, especially in the run game. What he can do is incredible. These are great signings, especially C.J. Gardner-Johnson getting him on a one-year $8 million deal. That's cheap. That is dirt cheap for a safety. That is a great deal. And then they kept a solid, solid core. Some of the standout players, Isaiah Bugs and Alex Anzalone, last year for the Alliance, they re-signed them both. And they signed them on team-friendly deals. That's huge. And then on offense, they had a pretty solid offensive line, but they struggled at that guard position. They went out and they, fit, they took care of that immediately, getting Graham Gads, uh, Glasgow from the Broncos. That's a great signing. Um, Jamal Williams hurts, but David Montgomery, at his best, is arguably just as good, if not better. Um, it's been a couple years since we've seen that, but David Montgomery's still young. I think he's still got something left in the tank. And, you know, two other grades. We won't get into depth on these, but you gave the Vikings a C-minus with the loss of Thielen and Eric Kendricks and Patrick Peterson. It's just not great there. And then the Cowboys, you gave a B. Losing Dawson, Dalton Schultz hurts, I think, them. But they got Brandon Cooks, they got Stephen Gilmore, they're getting those pieces there as well. And the loss of Zeke, in, in my opinion, helps them a lot, like it just cap-wise. Zeke's really gone down. I don't know if he's going to be a starter anymore. But let's get into some way, 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 way too early division predictions. We won't explain too much. We'll just go in. Who you got? Let's start with the AFC North. Now, your prediction hurt me a little bit. I think the Bengals will be 14-3, and three, and they're going to win the division. Steelers, I think, increase. They get to the playoffs, they'll be 10-7. and seven. Ravens, I don't know where they would stand at 9-8, and eight, but I'm going to say they'll be 9-8, and eight, and then the Browns will be 7-10. and 10. Josiah, just quickly, who you got? I got the Steelers winning the division, 12-5. and five. I really like their young core. Uh, Bengals, 
Bengals close up, eleven and six. I do not trust that defense. Uh, Ravens seven and ten. Uh, whether Lamar Jackson plays or not, I think there's going to be a fall off. And then Browns six and eleven. And then the AFC East got the Bills winning it thirteen and four. I think they're going to have a good season. The Jets. Uh, it's not official. Rodgers is going there, but I'm just going to assume he will. I think they'll be eleven and six. They'll take a step. I mean, they were good last year. Dolphins ten and seven. Um, and then the Patriots, I think, will drop off at six and eleven. Who you got? I got the Dolphins winning the division at a uh, twelve and five. They've made nothing but good moves, especially bringing in Jalen Ramsey. Um, Bills at eleven and six. I think they're going to have a couple that fall off there. Uh, the Jets, whether they get Rodgers or not, I don't think they're going to be a solid team. I got nine and eight. Uh, and then the Patriots, I also have them falling off, but a bit more harsh. I got four and thirteen. AFC South, I got the Jags winging at eleven and six. Texans at eight and nine. Titans at six and eleven. And Colts three at fourteen. Jags had an incredible offseason last year. I think they're going to keep building on that. Thirteen and four, winning the division. Uh, Texans are going to finally bounce back with a rookie quarterback. Nine and eight. Titans are six and eleven. I agree. And I got the Colts winning a few more games at five and twenty. In the AFC West, I think it's pretty simple. Chiefs are going to win that thing. I think they're going to win fourteen games. They're going to be fourteen and three. Chargers at eleven and six. Raiders at nine and eight. Now. That might surprise some people, but I think that they're going to get a quarterback in the draft. They've got some decent pieces there, like Jacoby Myers. Broncos, I think, will be 8-9. I think they'll step up. I think especially under Nathaniel Hackett, they just were really repressed. I think Russell Wilson returns to form. I actually have the exact same records on everyone except the Raiders. Um, I don't trust the Raiders at all. And picking at 7, the quarterback they're probably going to take is Will Levis, who I think is a bust waiting to happen. I got them at 3-14. and 14. Definitely agree with you. Will Levis isn't my favorite, but see where it goes. NFC North, uh, we're switching conferences. Got the Lions at 10-7. and seven. I, I Detroit was 9-8 and eight last year. I think that they'll probably be back to that, and I think the Vikings will be second at 9-8. and eight. I have the Bears at 6-11, and 11, and the Pack finishing dead last at 5-12. and 12. Josiah, you've got a little bit uh, different predictions than myself. I do. Uh, the Lions I got at 12-5, and five. they remind me, if you've ever seen the movie Moneyball, the heart that team had, and there's a line in that movie where they go, how could you not get emotional about baseball? That's how I feel about the Lions. How can you not get emotional about Dan Campbell leading this team into victory? I got them at 12-5. and five. Uh, I got the Bears at 8-9. and nine. I see them bouncing back to a really good, I think that offense finally clicks, and with the addition of Tremaine Edmonds on defense, it's going to be great. Uh, Packers at seven and ten. I agree, it's going to be a fall off, but not as hard as the Vikings, who I have at six and eleven. Um, I'm not exactly known as the biggest fan of Kirk Cousins. Kind of been praying on this man's downfall for a couple years now. It's finally going to hit. I do not trust him at all as a quarterback. Moving to the NFC East, I have the Eagles at fifteen and two, but your record's a little interesting. I have the Cowboys at eleven and six, Giants at ten and seven. Commanders at four and thirteen. I think Sam Howell will play well for them. He's going to have some growing pains, uh, but that's kind of where I stand on that. Who you got in the NFC? Uh, I got the Cowboys winning it at thirteen and four. This seems like the year they're going to bounce back and play really well. Uh, the Eagles, I have going through a little bit of a Super Bowl slump coming off of that loss in the Super Bowl. I have them at eleven and six. Still a very very good team, but uh, I think those defensive losses are really going to hurt. Um, I got the uh, Commanders going 9-8. and eight. Uh, I trust the Commanders. Jahan Dotson, Sam Howell, I think it's a solid team. Losing Cole Holcomb is going to hurt, but it's a good team. 
And then the Giants, uh, I got it 6-11. and 11. I think signing Danny Dimes to as long-term as they did is going to hurt them more than help them, especially early on. Moving to the NFC South, man, we are all over the place here. We are totally different. Uh, I think the Saints are winning this thing. I think Derek Carr is about to go into his best era of football. I think he's got a lot left. I got the Saints at 10-7 and 7 with Jamal Williams coming in. I think it's going to be good. The Bucks. I'm a firm believer in the bacon shake effect. I think old Baker Mayfield is going to really help them, and they'll be 9-8. and eight. I think they'll make the playoffs. Panthers at 8-9. and nine. I think that the additions will help, uh, but I'm not, I'm not sure yet. And the Falcons, I have at 2-15. and 15. You're way different than I am, Josiah. Lay it out to me. Well, a little bit of homerism here. I got the Panthers winning at 11-6. and six. They're putting it together at solid program. How could you not see them winning? Uh, I got the Falcons next at 8-9. and nine. Very, very, very sneaky good program. If Desmond Ritter pans out, I could see it being higher than this. Uh, a lot of those games that they played last year were a lot closer than what that uh, record made it sound like. Yeah, much different. Yeah. And then I got the Saints at 7-10. and 10. Um, It seems like a hodgepodge. That defense has completely fallen apart. They lost Shai Tuttle. They lost uh, David Onyemeta. They lost um, uh, Marcus Davenport. Mm-hmm. I they're falling apart here. And then I got the Bucks at 3-14, and 14, the Baker Mayfield effect. Uh, you lose Tom Brady, things are going to start falling apart. And then moving to the NFC West, final division got the Niners at 13-4. and four. I think the Rams will step back up with Stafford healthy. They'll be 10-7, and seven. Seahawks at 9-8, and eight. Cards at 7-10. and 10. Play it out to me. I got the 49ers at 15-2. and two. This is going to be the best team in football next year. Trey Lance is finally going to be able, if he can stay healthy, he's finally going to be able to show why he was the number one overall pick. Uh, I got the Seahawks at 10-7. and seven. I think that they're, they're not really going to go up or down. They're going to stay about where they were last year. Uh, the Rams I have at 7-10. and 10. I, Stafford injured his elbow. That's a tough injury to come back from. I'm not sure I trust him there honestly and I think it's going to be a a rough road for Sean McVay to see what he wants to do with this team with no draft picks low cap space and a lot of aging veterans and then finally I have the Cardinals at 2 and 15. Uh, Kyler Murray had a terrible ACL injury he might not even be healthy until midway through the season Um, their current backup quarterback I believe is Trace McSorley they don't really have anybody to play quarterback. Hey, he's got a bomb song. Have you ever heard that Trace yeah, McSorley song? Hey, I know he can throw it on Trace a dime. Trace McSorley, throw it on a dime. You know what yeah, I'm well, the only dimes he throws are pick sixes in the NFL. Okay. Ah, oh, boo. Anyways. <laughs> well, that's what we've got for today. I think that's all the time that we have. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, we just thank you so much for tuning in. Josiah, my man, thank you for coming on. We'll definitely have you back. This was a whole lot of fun. Uh, you got anything left? Any final parting thoughts? I uh, just thank you for having me. I had a lot of fun and uh, can't wait to see what uh, softball team does. Me and you both, Charlotte basketball, big day of Charlotte athletics ahead. Well, that's going to do it for us. We will see you next week, ladies and gentlemen.